What I want to talk about today is I want to talk uh, some more about the supernatural because for me that's really, really key and really important. And um, I think that we have so much potential as uh, those that are made, as the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, made in the image of God. Or as it says in Genesis chapter 2, they, where God looks around, he says they become like one of us. They become like one of the, the Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God. And uh, I think that we really do live at a place uh, collectively as a society, as a race, as humanity, where we fall very, very short of what we're capable of. And we fall short of our potential. And a big part of the reason, there's, there's several reasons that I kind of want to get into as to how we fall short of that potential and what we can do to correct that, what we can do to fix that. But one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that we fall short of our potential is because we have not been taught or educated uh, how to open up the other aspects of our being that allow us to act in ways that go beyond normal human limitations that we call supernatural. Now, these are things that Though they've been hidden from the majority, there are teachings that have go all the way back as far as we can go with humanity. There are things that come down in the Western world outside of just traditional Christianity or traditional church. Because let's face it, a lot of Christianity, unless you came from the charismatic movement or you came from a movement that emphasized the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there wasn't a lot of supernatural stuff that happened. At least that's my experience. I grew up in the Methodist church. We never saw a miracle. We never saw a healing. We never uh, saw anything that was really out of the ordinary. And I know in a lot of other traditions, the Southern Baptist tradition, uh, most Baptist traditions, a lot of the denominational churches, be they Lutheran or Episcopalian, they don't really put a strong emphasis on you as a human being and what you're capable of or what you can uh, accomplish uh, or experience or way to expand who you are in ways that go beyond normal human limitations. So the only place I could find that within Western Christianity at all was within the charismatic church. And oftentimes within the charismatic church, we said that we believed those things, but we didn't experience those things, at least not on a consistent or regular basis. Primarily, there were two gifts. Uh, for, for most charismatics, there was a two-gift operation. So part of the reason that we haven't been able on a consistent level, even within the charismatic church, was like a two-gift uh, church, like a two-gift operation, prophecy and tongues. And those are the two most easy, those are the two most subjective and also the two that are easiest to sort of fake, even though I don't think most people were faking them. But let's be honest, how many of you came through the prophetic movement or how many of you came through the charismatic movement and you would get words that either didn't resonate or didn't confirm? or were off the mark, or never happened and never came to pass. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier in the week. They said, at our church, God talks too much. God has too much to say. Everybody's giving prophetic words. And so many times those prophetic words don't happen or they don't come to pass. And so that ends up leaving people with disillusionment and even more doubt, even more uh, uh, cynicism about uh, supernatural stuff. Nevertheless, uh, even though we may look at things that are operating subpar, maybe not where they should be, we're looking at things maybe that are, sometimes are faked, or we're falling short so many times of what we know in our hearts to be potential of what can happen and who we can be, 
a lot of that, I'm convinced, is because, number one, it's been hidden from us what needs to happen in order to operate in that stuff more consistently. That's the first thing. So if you don't know what to do or you don't know how, then it makes it very difficult to make any changes. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's a lot of damn work. <laughs> and we'll we'll get into this in a minute. But but to be able to consistently, and I'll explain to you kind of my worldview, how I've come to understand these things through doing a lot of study from a lot of different realms and traditions, looking at things in the East, looking at things in the uh, Western uh, esoteric uh, wisdom traditions, um, studying things that do with, have to do with shamanism, that have to do with energy work combined with neuroscience, uh, and bringing all of that together with my experiences with Christianity and with Scripture and with the Bible to kind of give you and flesh out for you what I think is, uh, yeah, Mariana says, or very general words, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to key on that for a minute, but uh, <laughs> looking at the comments, I get a little off track, but that's okay. Keep the comments coming. I love it. Um, so we, I'm going to share with you what I think is a, a model that we can sink our teeth into, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you know up front that if you want to become a person who's really tuned into God and really expressing your full potential, it is a lot of work. So number one, either we don't know what to do or number two, we know what to do, but there's so much effort and so much changing of habits and thought patterns and things like that, that we don't put in the work necessary to be able to operate at those levels on a consistent basis. Now, Mariana said that in uh, the church that uh, with the prophetic, we would get a lot of sort of general prophetic words. And uh, let's see, I see Jason saying you might want to check the mic location or setting on the wireless ones. Thank you. I will do that after this. I will definitely check that. Thanks. I'm certainly technically challenged or technology challenged. So anybody that has any... Uh, uh, input for me on that. That's great. By general words, I think this is what Mariana means, that you can create. It's almost like talking like a politician. You'll notice if, if with the, you know, the elections in America coming up, maybe politicians in your own country have a tendency to talk generally. They talk about the American people uh, want this or uh, we're going to change policies. Well, that can mean anything. I uh, remember when Barack Obama was a master of this because he could talk about hope and change. Um, that applies to anybody. Everybody probably has something they want to change, and everybody wants to have hope. So you pick these really generalized, broad categories that people then can find themselves uh, by giving their own meaning to what you mean by policy or giving your own meaning to what you mean by hope and change. And so that's how a lot of the prophetic operates in the church. It's very generalized. You're going to a new level. Uh, God's opening a door for you. Things are going to change in your life. Some things that you've been struggling with. Uh, God is, is moving some people in your life that have been giving you issues. God's changing those situations. You see how I'm doing it very generally? How that could apply to anybody. I could give that same prophetic, personal prophetic word to anybody in the room and anybody in the room is going to be able to, oh, go into a next level. Well, what it means for one person and what it means for another person are two totally different things. Uh, people in my life are changing. Well, who doesn't have problems with people? Oh, praise God. You know, this person, this person, we start filling in the blanks. And so in that sense, it's so generalized. And that's what I'm talking about, like what, how it can be faked. And then what's, what's, what's almost nefarious is that we come back later 
And if something does change, which life changes, life is not uh, static, right? Um, so if people do change, uh, life does change, then we can come back and say, see, I gave you that word or so-and-so gave me that word three months ago that things were going to change and things have really changed. When in reality, maybe what's happening there is, yeah, it's good encouragement. I'm not saying that it's not necessarily helpful or not good encouragement, but it's not really, it's very subpar in terms of being on the level of the supernatural, where if you can predict something within 90 days, on this day, this event is going to take place in your life, or at this time period in your life, this specific event happened with this specific person. Now, those are things that really deliver on, on the goods. Does, does that make sense to you? And we, we do have areas, you know, we had areas that we would see that within the charismatic world. I certainly was able to function at times at that level of accuracy in the things that I was doing. And then, of course, you have verifiable uh, supernatural events like miracles, healings, things like that that can be seen and testified to and verified uh, with what I would call empirical evidence or something actually happening and something actually changing in the physical world. Now, back when we were a church and back when we were operating and moving in that stuff, we thought, I thought it was because the doctrine was correct. The teaching was correct. I was teaching from the Bible. I was teaching from the word of God and God was showing up to confirm his word, if you will, with signs and wonders following and, uh, or he's coming and validating the message that somehow the two went together. And that's where I'm convinced uh, today that I mismapped. Remember the saying, the map is not the territory. You have the territory, which is the actual phenomena of what's occurring out here. So you have a healing meeting and people are getting authentic healings. Uh, you have a miracle service. There are authentic miracles. Maybe you have a few very, very accurate words of knowledge for specific people. And so that can be seen and that can be verified and it kind of wows people or whatever. And we think God is showing up, the Holy Spirit is showing up, because the, the end goal is to get you to think or get you to believe the scriptures or get you to think and believe like I'm thinking and believing. And so so the phenomena is what's happening out here. That's the territory. The map is the map is based on how myself in this case, or how anybody, but how myself in this case is thinking about or giving meaning to the cause and the effect. Uh, the cause is we have the truth. The cause is we're praying and tagging Jesus' name on the end of it. The cause is we're lifting up and glorifying Jesus, and he's coming to be glorified among his people. And then the effect is the phenomenon that's taking place. The problem with that is, is that there's a whole lot of people that would be saying the same things and yet not seeing the phenomenon. So if there was a direct cause and effect correlation, or, or the thing that was happening, then everyone who's preaching Jesus or everyone who's teaching the same, you know, sort of sound doctrine out of the Bible should be seeing the same phenomena because they're activating the same cause. And the reality is, and this is, this is an indisputable truth that, uh, that does not happen. So then the counter argument is, well, no, it just happens as God wills. Well, now that opens up a whole other can of worms because now you're telling me, well, then it's God's will to do it for one, but not God's will to do it for another. So now God's playing favorites. So what's, what's happening? What's going on? And it leaves people confused. It leaves people disappointed. It leaves people struggling. One of the things that, uh, you know, I, I turned on every once in a while, I, I turn on Christian personalities, especially there's still a few that I follow that I used to follow that if they're still on, um, 
you know, come up on my feed as they're doing a live broadcast or something. So I was watching somebody, I won't say a name, I'm really, really tempted to say the name, but I won't. And uh, I, I pop on a live broadcast and it's all about what God is doing, what the Spirit is saying to America. And it's the same stuff I heard 10 years ago. Everybody waiting for this great outpouring to be activated. Like God is just sitting up there. He wants to save humanity. I mean, think about this. We, we were always looking for revival. We were always looking for the glory. We were always looking for the outpouring. And it's like God is sitting up there wanting to pour it out. But for some reason, God's not doing it. Because in our mind, the cause and effect is once the glory comes, once the outpouring comes, once the end time revival comes, then this stuff is going to flow through us very, very easily, right? Then we're going to see people healed, healed on the streets, healed in meetings. We're going to get back to the place where Peter's shadow. Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? Anybody else out there part of this crazy culture that I was a part of? (laughs) that allows you to just stay on this treadmill chasing the carrot on the stick, thinking one day we're going to get there. And then, of course, there comes, again, you know, it's the the cause and effect. Well, uh, it's because the church is lukewarm. It's because the church needs to get on their knees. It's because you need to be hungry. It's because you need to put Jesus first. It's because we're too distracted by all these other things. It's because of what the devil's doing or something like that. Uh, but but mark my words, you know, God told me that... that uh, you know, COVID, COVID is going to unleash just healing presence and power. And, and uh, you know, after the elections, especially if Donald Trump gets elected, because most of those people support Donald Trump, then there's going to be this tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you know it's not going to happen. Mark my words, it's not going to happen. Mark my words, the church is going to be in exactly the same place because I've been hearing the same stuff for 20 years. It's always something that's out there. So then we have to ask ourselves, so what is God doing? Is God sitting up there? He, he wants to pour it out. He wants to save humanity. He wants to show up. He wants his glory to fill the earth. This is his heart. He loves everybody unconditionally. But damn it, he can't do it because that damn church won't pray enough. Or because uh, the, the believers are too lukewarm. Or because they'll consume what he's going to outpour upon himself. Now, how fair is that? How fair is that? So now let's take the monster God who has eternal conscious torment somewhere. He's going to send people to hell. So now you have people suffering and wheelchairs. You have people suffering with cancer. You have people suffering with their children in children's hospitals. But he's going to pour out this tremendous outpouring of healing, but he can't do it yet because this group over here won't get their act together. Oh, and by the way, that's the group he chose. Or they're not praying enough. Somehow, if they just pray more, come on, church, pray more. If you'll just pray more, then I'll, I'll be convinced in the goodness of my heart to do it. I mean, how does that really work? How does that really work? Are you more merciful than God? Or you have more compassion than God? If, if, if you pray, if you love the lost, you're going to really go out there and do something. If, if you love the people that are, that are, um, not being, you know, that are suffering with sickness and disease, if you really get your act together, if you're on your knees more, if you show up every time in church, if you give the offering and the offering plate, then somehow that's going to turn the heart of God and God's going to open up. He's going to pour stuff out on you. I mean, think about that. And and what's with intercessory prayer anyway? I, I don't know why I'm going off on this stuff, but what's with intercessory prayer anyway? Like you're more merciful than God? Like you got to stand in the gap? Like God wants to destroy you? Uh, not destroy you, but wants to destroy humanity. Again, monster God that wants to send people to hell. I would save this person over here, but I'm withholding my spirit because I'm grieved by what the church is doing? How, how, how does that work? Or I really want to bring healing over here, but I can't bring 
healing because you're not living right? And then what kind of subliminal message does that send to people that are sitting in those outfits, that are sitting in those institutions that are being promised, wow, God's really going to do something. God's really going to show up and show out. We're living in the end times, whatever. And But you got to get your act together. You're just too lukewarm, which lukewarm is another one of those generalized things, right? What constitutes, in, in terms of Christian service, did you ever ask yourself the question, in terms of actions that I can see, something that's happening here in the real physical world, what constitutes lukewarm, what constitutes hot, and what constitutes cold? If I'm going to be hot, do I have to be witnessing, sharing Jesus with every person that I meet, including the, the Uber driver and including the waitress and leaving tracks on the, <laughs> on the bathroom stalls for people? Does that constitute hot? And then if I'm doing that, but I'm only praying one hour a day instead of two hours a day, does that make me lukewarm? Or if I take a day off or if I just I'm having a bad day and I forget to witness to somebody, does that make me lukewarm? Like, how does that work? So so what constitutes a lukewarm Christian? What constitutes a hot Christian? How do you do those comparisons? See, it's all based upon comparison. But they'll throw that out as, you know, they'll they'll throw that out because of a, a, a chapter in the book of Revelation, which barely made it into the Bible to begin with, and say, look, the end-time church, the end-time church is just lukewarm. And they'll sit there with, with zeal and passion. And really what happens is it resonates with people who have shame, in their identity. If you were shamed in your household, if you were uh, given a standard that you could not live up to, if you did not, if you were not allowed to experience the full range of human emotion in your home, if you weren't allowed to um, grow into your sexuality in a very healthy and nurturing sort of way, if you were shamed, a lot of women dealt with this, you know, you were shamed for your body. Uh, shamed for your sexuality. One of the most heartbreaking stories that I've heard on the religious trauma page was uh, someone talking about being 11 years old. Think about this, 11-year-old little girl and having to stand in front of a mirror before church and raise her arms to make sure that her midriff wasn't showing because it might throw temptation uh, across the path of some elder or something. I mean, think about how sick that is. But think, of, but think about the, the shaming. And so what happens is, is we, we create in the church this culture of standards that we tell people they have to live up to on a consistent basis. And then we say God is withholding. God is withholding revival. God is withholding outpouring. God is withholding from the world. God's withholding from the world because you won't get your act together. And if you grew up in a home like that, it resonates at a very deep level. But what it's resonating with is it's resonating with the shame-based identity that you have carried. It's resonating with your fears. If you want to talk about the rapture, which I think is total garbage, I, I can't believe anybody even thinks that or preaches that or believes that. And I'm sorry if that offends you, but you need to go with the scarecrow to the Wizard of Oz and find a brain. Because the, the Bible nowhere teaches a rapture. And, and that's getting into a whole other thing. And that, that thing has only been around for about 120 some odd years anyway. But watch this. What does the rapture feed upon? Even the title of the books. Remember the books back in the 90s, Left Behind? Um, some of you that are older like me, you remember the movies A Thief in the Night? They're just, they're trauma inducing. And because what it preys upon is it preys upon uh, people's fear of abandonment. And that's one. So, so we have these primal fears, the fear of death, the fear of abandonment. We have sort of this primal shame that says, maybe I'm not good enough. And so what, what happens is, 
is the message comes in and it begins to resonate at the level of vibration that was formed in you because oftentimes of the trauma that you experienced, the abuse in many cases that you experienced, or just the lack of perfect parenting. And none of us are perfect parents. Uh, but but we can create an environment where you have emotional freedom. You're allowed to experience the full range of your emotions, where you're not shamed for your body, you're not shamed for your sexuality, and where you are encouraged, where standards are set, but you're encouraged to 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 uh, meet those standards in a way that's nurturing and healthy, rather than punished when you don't meet those standards. So if you grew up in that home, then the church looks a whole lot like your home, and God may look a whole lot like your daddy, and it may be because God was trying to conform... Or, I'm sorry, daddy was trying to conform himself to that God that is in the sky. And so you have this stuff in your subconscious. You have this stuff in your memory. And as you're hearing this stuff, it's going to resonate with you as truth. A lot of what is called the conviction of the Holy Spirit is simply someone giving off a shame-inducing vibration at a level that resonates with the same shame-inducing um uh, vibration that you received in the home and it resonates below the level of your conscious mind and you feel that resonance and you mistake that for saying, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, of course I'm not good enough because I was never good enough for mom and dad. Of course I don't measure up because I never measure up, whether it was in the home or whether it was in in school or whatever. And so then we say, wow, God really moved. God really came in. And so the whole thing then is being led oftentimes by wounds. It's being led by shame. It's being led by fears, preying on primal fears again of death and existence. If you don't get it right, if you die tonight. I mean, think about how trauma-inducing this is. I hadn't ever thought about this, but I was working with a client on religious trauma, and, and they talked about uh, every service that they went to, it would end with, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Now think about the, how trauma-inducing that is. Uh, I mean, death is a reality, but most of us don't like to sit there and think about our imminent death, but we're being invited every Sunday. Think about this. You're being invited every Sunday to consider your imminent death. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Well, shit, nobody knows, right? <laughs> I mean, that's one of the big mysteries of life. What happens after you die? So that is naturally fear-inducing. That's a primal fear. And so people would put out that primal fear, the vibration of that fear, and it would resonate with the fear of the people that are carrying that at a very deep level because that is a deep human primal fear that we all share. Abandonment is the same way. We, yeah, I see Tom said called home. So, so if you grew up in a home that was like that and you come into a church that's like that, you feel like, oh, I'm finally home. But it's because your map of home is based on these high standards that you couldn't live up to. Uh, you were motivated by shame, uh, to do better. Your parents loved you. They, they were doing the best they could. They didn't want you to go to hell. They wanted you to share their values. They wanted you to perform. They wanted you to bring, to bring out your best. And the way their mom and dad taught them, the way their religion taught them to bring out the best was to shame you and guilt you into stepping up. So, so these are very low level vibrations. Fear of death, shame and guilt. You're not good enough. Worthlessness, hopelessness, and the fear of abandonment. And so what happens is, is that the entire, uh, uh, those structures, that particular brand of Christianity, that particular subculture within the broader spectrum of Christianity is vibrating at a very low level and they are using their vibrations 
in order to snag people. They're using bait, if you will, on the end of their hook in order to snag people that are already resonating at that level. And so intuitively, people think or feel or believe that that is the leading of the Holy Spirit. It bears witness with me. No, it's a vibration that's matching your vibration. And a lot of intuition is not real intuition. Uh, a lot of intuition is you're picking up on a vibration that's resonating with a vibration that's inside of you, and there's a match. A lot of discernment is there is a vibration out there that you're not resonating with. So watch this. So if you come up in a culture that is shame-based, if you come up in a religion that is shame-based, if you come up in a situation where fear and shame is being used to motivate you, and then someone else comes along and they're operating at a different level of vibration, they're operating at a level of vibration of being relaxed, being comfortable with who you are, being in love with who you are, being okay with who you are. They come with a vibration of hope. They come with a vibration of power because uh, you, you see what I'm saying? They're coming at a different vibration and you're used to these lower level vibrations. They're not going to resonate with you. They're not going to match. There's going to be actually dissonance. There's going to be a disconnect. And you feel that disconnect and and what is going on inside of you and you measure that disconnect based on the level of vibration that you're matching. It has nothing to do with the gift of the Holy Spirit called discernment. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit giving you peace or I don't have a peace about that. It just simply means that what that person's saying or the vibration that that person has is not matching the level of vibration that I'm operating in or that I'm coming from. So I feel uncomfortable about it. And then you, you, you call that discomfort your intuition or your discernment or the spirit not bearing witness or I don't have a piece about this. But then if something else comes along and confirms where you're at, then, oh, that, that must be God. And so what happens is we create these echo chambers. We create, uh, uh, one of the things I had to study when I was in college that really opened my eyes, one of the first things that began to open my eyes, I had to study a uh, phenomenon called groupthink. And groupthink develops when you have a strong charismatic leader and the expectation is that everyone else in the group agree with that strong charismatic leader. And oftentimes that charismatic leader will surround themselves with, uh, I can't think of the word, Sycophants. I think I'm saying that right. In other words, people that are just, sorry, I'm being raw today. People that are just ass kissers or people that are yes men, um, that don't challenge what's going on. And then they bring in only people to speak to you that think like them and reinforce what they believe. And if you challenge or you question too much, then somehow you're wrong. Uh, and then we have this whole layer of, of spiritual authority. I don't know whose business I'm in today. I don't know why I'm going off on this like I am. This hasn't been my intention, but I'm just going to trust the flow right now with where this is going. That Hopefully I'm, I'm speaking to somebody or helping somebody out there to see that then you have a groupthink situation. Then you bring in other voices that think just like you. Now you're in an echo chamber. You've also created an us versus them mentality. We're the ones that are right. We're the ones that have the doctrine. They don't have the doctrine. In fact, it's our job to convince them that they're wrong. It's our job to shame them just like we shamed everybody else. It's our job to convince them to come along to our side. And if we can get them to come along to our side, then we will embrace them. So now we're using, now we're using social emotional needs in order to manipulate uh, people who need acceptance, people who need community. 
but they have to join the echo chamber in order to receive that, which again looks a lot like home because I couldn't receive love if I disagreed. I couldn't receive love if I went a different direction. I didn't have the power or the ability to make my own choices. My point in all of this and sharing all of this is twofold. Number one, it's to show how disempowering many religious models and religious structures can become that actually keep you at these lower level vibrations so that you keep manifesting the same sort of emotional and psychological and mental situations that happen in your life. So you go from a religious uh, religious abusive home, you go from an abusive home, you go into an abusive religious system, then perhaps you marry an abusive husband or an abusive wife because it all feels normal to you because it's matching the level of your vibrations. But that is part of the problem. It's, it's keeping you down. Yeah, you've got that, that need for belonging, those social-emotional needs, but you only get it, you only get it if you agree with us. If you disagree with us, you don't get it. So, now, so in some ways, many systems become predatory. And yes, trauma all around. That's why I'm so passionate about religious trauma. But the system itself becomes predatory. Um, and then... Uh, and then here's here's the other dynamic of abusive relationships. The, the 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 abuser in a home, say you have an abusive father, usually there's a dominant personality in an abusive home. Oftentimes it's the dad. It doesn't have to be, it can be the mom, but you cannot criticize. You cannot question. Um, so if you were to criticize, maybe there's something wrong with this whole system. Or maybe the person doing the abusing needs to take accountability for their actions and bring about real change. Then typically what happens is you get gaslit. And so what gaslighting is, is it makes you question your own sense of reality. And man, religious gaslighting is the worst. Um, That's a slippery slope. You better not go down there. Um, Well, uh, anyway, I don't want to get into all the aspects of religious gaslighting, but I think you, I think you get the picture. You get the point. So, a lot of that stuff is the problem. A lot of that stuff is what prevents us from being able to experience those realms of God where God shows out to you so that you cannot deny. <laughs> Julie Julie says, uh, for a minute there, I thought you were talking about the government. That's funny, Julie, because I was thinking about throwing that out there because that's also what the government and what politicians and stuff do. So, but great pickup by you. Uh, great catch because, uh, you can see how this, this operates at every level. And a lot of it has to do with the level of our vibration. Now I want to throw this in too, because another thing that religion does, this also correlates with politics. It can also correlate with the family that you grew up in, your family of origin. The other thing. <laughs> Yeah, Ben says, oh, you're on dangerous ground thinking for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because, because, and the reason that becomes dangerous ground is this next point that I'm going to get to, which is the disempowering of religion. Religion actually takes your power away from you. It takes your power away from you, first of all, by giving all the power to God. Um, Sort of this belief that if anything good happens in your life, you can't take credit for it because if you take credit for it, you're not giving enough glory to God. So how many of you came out of a religious system where um, if this happens a lot with musicians, you, you do a really good job on the keyboard, you do a really good job 
singing, whatever. Somebody comes up and says, man, maybe you do a special solo. She so says, man, that was beautiful. You did such an awesome job. And they're conditioned, trained to say, oh, well, it's all the Lord. It's all the Lord. Um, it's all just Jesus. Jesus gets all the glory for this. Um, because if you were to take credit for it, then somehow you're taking, you know, well, it's all just a gift. Well, no shit. Your whole life is a gift. <laughs> But I want you to see how this is disempowering. And I want you to see how this leads to what we call in psychology an attribution error. So attribution error in psychology is to attribute in a cause and effect way whether something occurs because of something inside of you or something outside of you. And again, the map is not the territory. So there is cause and effect in the natural world. The closer we can come to thinking about cause and effect in the way that it actually occurs in the natural world, creates a more accurate map. That's the whole basis for science. It's the whole basis for science. Um, if we, in our thinking, attribute cause and effect incorrectly to the way it's happening in the territory, in the world of phenomena, then we've, we've created attribution errors. I, I know a lot of people are frustrated with COVID cures, you know, people touting different remedies, be it hydroxychloroquine or some herb somewhere. Um, and you'll hear people come back and say, well, that's anecdotal. And I know that's frustrating. It's frustrating when you're in the middle of a pandemic and think, oh, here's the answer. But the problem is it's so easy to make attribution errors in our maps in our in our minds and so science the way science works is the research experiments are designed specifically based on past attribution errors to eliminate those to correctly identify in the world of phenomena what actually is happening out there in terms of cause and effect so scientific studies the reason they take so long the reason they're designed the way they are, the reason people come back and say, no, that's that's um, anecdotal, is because it hasn't been run through these tests to eliminate attribution errors, cause and effect or correlation errors in our own thinking and wishing and desiring and the way we want things to be versus how it happens in the world of phenomena. That's how science works. Now, let's come back to psychology. Here's the problem and here's what happens to us with attribution errors in the church. We are told, we are trained, we are taught, we are programmed to attribute every good thing that happens as the cause of it in our life being God and coming from God. So every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variance or shadow of turning, the scripture says. Give thanks to the Lord for the good things that God provides in your life. So if anything good happens, if you sing that song and, and man, it's just powerful and awesome and it, and it heals people and it impacts people, then you cannot within yourself take any credit for being the cause of that. You're taught to put that credit outside of yourself. Are, are you tracking with me? Same thing with righteousness. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, 
nobody can make it. Nobody can measure up. Nobody can, can match up. Nobody can create within themselves. You're striving in the flesh to love. You're striving in the flesh to be joyful. You're striving in the flesh. Uh, no good thing dwells within you. Everything within you is corrupt. Any good thing comes to you by the grace of God. So any goodness that's in your life, any effectiveness that's in your life, any blessing that's in your life, you are taught to discount yourself as being the cause of it, to take no ownership of it, to give all the glory to God, right? So you are not the cause of anything good or positive that happens in your life. That's the message that gets sent either directly or subliminally to you. On the flip side of that, if you screw up, if you stumble in temptation, if you sin, if you're in one of those hyper-charismatic Pentecostal dinosaur museum churches, then you sang the wrong song and grieved the Holy Spirit. You don't dare give God any credit for that whatsoever. God is not the author of sin. Some places you can blame the devil, but lots of places you can't even blame the devil. You have to repent. Even people that are demonized, right? They opened a door somewhere. They, they were the cause of it somewhere. So they have to repent. They have to. So here's what we do. We create a psychological structure and a psychological system where you cannot be at cause for any good thing that happens in your life. You have to give the credit to God outside of you. But you absolutely cannot be at cause. Or I'm, I'm sorry. You absolutely are at cause for every bad thing that happens in your life. Now, think about bringing that mentality into life. Think about how are you supposed to have any kind of self-esteem? How are you supposed to have any kind of self-worth? So you're left completely powerless and dependent. You're dependent upon God to do something supernatural. You're dependent upon God to move. You're dependent on God to change the circumstances. You're dependent upon God to change you. There's no power within you. There's no power latent within you. There's no power inherent within you for anything good. The only thing that resides within your soul, the only thing that resides within your being is the latent power for evil. That's the message that that brand and that version of Christianity sends directly or indirectly, overtly or covertly, shouting it from the pulpit or delivering the messages subtly or a combination of all of those. Literally, programs your thinking, this is normal, this is God, this is reality. But it leaves you ill-equipped for an abundant life, ill-equipped for a successful life, even just on a natural level, um, to go out and be effective, to go out and be successful. But it definitely puts a lid on your latent potentials to create change in ways that don't match our current understanding of cause and effect. In other words, it doesn't match science. Remember, everything in science, even though there are things in science designed to eliminate attribution errors so that we can map cause and effect effectively with the world of phenomenon, science itself is just a map. It is a map that is open to change, unlike religion. It's not forever settled in heaven, but it's still a map. So there are possibilities and potentials to rise above or go above what science says is possible, what the norm is inside the culture, to experience the phenomena of what we call the law of attraction, where you by yourself draw and attract something, some sort of synchronicity, 
some sort of miracle, some sort of positive blessing into your life, or where you become a, a cause of someone else receiving a benefit through your prayers or through your spiritual work or however it is that you're functioning and operating, but you're at cause. So what I'm talking about is reclaiming that locus of power to realize that the power to create change, the power to change your life, the power to create change in this world, the power to create change for others does not lie outside of you and you are not nearly the filthy rag that you have been taught that you are. Somebody really needs to hear this. You are not nearly as bad as you've been programmed to believe that you are. You are not nearly as helpless in your situation right now as you think you are because your thinking is simply the byproduct of childhood programming, religious programming, societal programming, whatever the case may be. And nothing's going to change for you. Nothing's going to change for you until you start to claim back your power, until you start to believe that you can cause an effect in this world that is positive, that is beautiful, that is effective, that is powerful, and, and, that, and that can bring change to your quality and your experience of life. Until you own your power, until you and I take responsibility for our level of vibration and where we're at, we're not responsible in the sense that we did not cause it. We were enculturated into it, but we are responsible to change it because you are that powerful, number one. And number two, no one else can do it. No one else can change your vibration. No one else can change the quality of your life. Nobody can lay hands on you and make a change. Nobody can pray for you and make a change. Nobody can cast it out of you. You and you alone can change it. You have the power to change it, but until you own that power and until you own the responsibility to change it, nothing for you is going to change. So that brings me to my second point in the introduction, that number one is we haven't been taught these things. We haven't been taught how. We haven't been properly empowered. We've been brainwashed, in fact, in the opposite direction. And then the second part of this, and this is probably the biggest reason why more people don't experience it, it takes a lot of damn work. It takes a lot of work on you. It takes a lot of work by you on yourself. It takes a lot of work by me on myself. Now, we want to make sure we're doing the right kind of work. If we think the right kind of work is I got to fast for it, you're doing work, but it ain't the right kind of work. You think, well, I got to pray a certain way or do it a certain way or whatever, or the way I do it's got to look like the way everybody else does it. You're not necessarily... Um, you're working, but you're not necessarily doing the right kind of work. So you got to have the right how, and you got to have, you got to be willing to put in the work to do it. So I spent way too much time on that part of it. So what 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 is it? So I'm convinced that the structure of reality is. Everything that we see, everything that we experience, originates from a source of consciousness. So let me let me do it this way. Let's let's do it this way. Let's change it and do it this way. Pretty good bet, based on latest science in the last 100 years, that everything, everything. Everything is energy. 
Everything in existence is energy. If you're terrible at math, don't let this bug you out because I'm terrible at math. You don't have to be good at math to get this. Everything is energy governed mathematically. Governed by intelligence. Or then in every wave of energy, there is information. At every wave of energy, there is information. You and I are giving off energy, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, that creates a certain signature vibration that we are giving out that is participating in this ocean, if you will, of energy that we find ourselves in. What happens is, in our life, is where do we find a match? So I've been talking about this. In church, they're giving off a certain low-level energy, preying on the fear of death, primal fear. Very powerful, very, very powerful energy. Very common energy that we're all giving off at some level that we can resonate with. Praying upon, if, if they're into the left-behind bullshit, um, rapture bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry if my language offends you. Uh, then... Um, Praying off of uh, fear of abandonment. If you have social emotional needs, maybe praying off of those vibrational matches. You're matching with those. You're attracting those things into your life, and you're matching with those, and you're staying in that vortex because of the level of your vibration, because of the way your signature, based on your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your physical, spiritual well-being, is sending out. Uh, I also think that this kind of explains why, you know, drug users can go into an, another city and within an hour or two they're approached by a dealer, hey, you want to buy some. Now, maybe there are certain physical thing, characteristics, whatever, that they look for, but there's a vibrational match. It's also why you can get in a room full of people. You have one extremely codependent woman, one very narcissistic, abusive male, and a group of 200 other people that are relatively normal. And those two are going to find each other and those two are going to get together. Why? Because they're an energetic match for each other. Now, in one way, I said this was a lot of work, but in another way, it's a lot simpler because the key then is if I can change my vibration, if I can make changes within myself so that I'm giving off a different vibrational frequency, then the world around me is going to respond to that. I'm not going to have to work nearly as hard at my relationships. I'm not going to have to work nearly as hard at... <clears throat> making money, uh, I'm not going to have to work nearly as hard at health, that kind of stuff, because I'm vibrating now at a different level. So those people and situations that were a match for me before are now going to have a dissonance. They're going to have a, a detraction from me. And I'm going to begin to attract things and people and situations in my life that are more of a match for where I'm at. So instead of trying to work at everything in your life, instead of trying to work, and this is what Christianity did, does to you too, right? I mean, I know it did it to me. I got to work at being a better father, so I got to change my behavior. I got to work at being a better uh, husband, so I got to change my behavior. I got to work at being a better leader, so I got to change my behavior. I got to work at better, being a better pastor, being a better human being. And so I'm working at all these things, and oh my God, it gets overwhelming. And a lot of self-help stuff and a lot of psychotherapy 
is the same way. Or I can work at a level of my own well-being inside, my own thinking, feeling, spiritual patterning. And if I can get that to cohere, I can get that to come together and rise to a different level, rise to a different vibration, then I'm only working at that one thing. That's my workshop. I'm only working at that one thing. And when I work at that one thing and I raise that level of vibration, then I'm going to, uh, the, the, the old stuff is going to fall away from my life. And I'm going to begin to attract different outcomes to myself without working out here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without working out here, putting in more job applications, not saying you shouldn't do that. Um, but you're led. There's, there's a leading. There's a knowing. Uh, so you're attracting different situations simply by working at the level of your consciousness and at the level of your vibration. So everything, now, this includes things seen, this energy, this vibrational energy includes things that are seen and things that are not seen. So whatever you're vibrating at, that's where you're going to find a link. That's where you're going to, that's where you're going to join up. Um, I'm trying to decide if I want to get go here or not. Um, so if you think about this, there is, how do I say this? There is, uh, within this network of consciousness, there, there's been a lot of energy given to religion. Um, a lot of devotion to invisible entities, whether it's Jesus or whether you were in <clears throat> The Middle East, and it's Allah for a lot of people, or whether it's Buddha wasn't really a god, but whether it's the Hindu gods and goddesses, uh, those things are all energetic patterns. Those things are all vibrations. So it's not so much what you believe in terms of do you have your doctrine right, but it's if you are given a Jesus frequency, there is a Jesus frequency out there to match the frequency that you're giving off. And you will be his bride. <laughs> you can see why I'm not sure I wanted to go here. Because it'd be a little confusing. I'm not talking about the Christ. I'm not talking about the Logos. Not even necessarily talking about the Jesus of history. <clears throat> I'm saying that throughout our genetics, throughout generations for thousands of years, there's the Jesus of the Greek Orthodox Church. There's the Jesus of the Catholic Church. There's the Jesus of Martin Luther and the Protestant Church. There's the Jesus of the Charismatic Church. There's the Jesus of the Christian Missionary Alliance. There's the Jesus of the Prosperity Movement. Uh, these are all have been generated and that energetic pattern, nothing can be created or, or destroyed. So when we're giving our devotion to a Jesus, a version of Jesus, let's put it that way, to a version of Jesus, we are contributing to that energetic field. Now, everything in the energetic field also has information. <clears throat> so I think I forgot to say that. There's the, not only is there energy, not only is there vibration, but in locked in those energetic patterns is also information. So 
when I worship passionately, <clears throat> I'm emitting into that stream of conscious energy and contributing to it. And it's going to hold in that pattern because it's a match. When I'm thinking about it, when I'm doing Bible study, when I'm focusing on it, I'm contributing to that stream of energy. <clears throat> you know, it's a common thing for people in deconstruction to say the devil doesn't exist. Well, the devil doesn't exist in the sense that he wasn't a worship leader in heaven full of pipes and got thrown out of heaven. <clears throat> can dismantle that with the scripture itself. <clears throat> but, but, there is a stream of consciousness or energy information where the concept of the devil has been created. And you can get caught in that sort of jet wash. You can get caught in that sort of vibrational field. And if you get caught in that vibrational field, you're dealing with the devil. It's possible after death that there is a place called hell that exists because everything is energy and that energy transmits information. <clears throat> so you want to be very aware of what you're linking into. You, you, if you could think about consciousness as this giant worldwide web, which site are you visiting? Whatever site you're visiting in, there's going to be an exchange of energy. There's going to be a contribution of energy and a, a deposit of energy that's coming from you and your devotion that's contributing to the overall <clears throat> collective field. But you can also make withdrawals off of that energy. And human beings learned how to harness this. If, if you go back into the uh, esoteric wisdom traditions and things like that, they saw great value in group consciousness and the group contributing to that energetic pattern, making deposits to that energetic pattern through their devotion in order to make positive withdrawals, in order to be able to tap into a higher level of energy to make a withdrawal from that field of energy in a way that would serve you in a way that would best serve the group. So it can work for you or it can work against you. Is this making sense to you? I'm, I'm not sure if I should have gone here. So let's come back to this and let's, let's bring it home with this. So people, you know, people that are having experiences with Jesus are having experiences with Jesus. People that say, you know, Jesus showed up in a vision, the energetic resonance of Jesus that they're experiencing is coded into that field. Does that make sense? Because we can't, uh, let's see. All right, I need to leave that alone. I'll just throw that out there. Hopefully that seeds something. Don says it makes sense. Uh, Rebecca says it makes sense. Chad says, oh, yeah. So, okay, cool. Glad it, glad it communicated well. It's, it's kind of a difficult concept for people to get their mind around. Um, so let's, let's bring it home to this. So how do I, how do I, number one, begin to tap into this? Number one, you got to realize you have the power. Everything you need to create, you are tapped into or can potentially dial into and link up to infinite intelligence. You can dial into and link up to omnipotence, infinite power as far as anything in this known universe or multiverse that can happen and that can take place. You can tap into 
multidimensional experiences that go beyond the realm of time and space. So in other words, what I'm saying is all the attributes that we give to God, his omniscience, his all-knowing, infinite intelligence, you can tap into that. Omnipotence, infinite power, you can tap into that. Uh, omnipresence, the ability to transcend time and space and go different places, you can tap into that. Some of it's knowing how, a lot of it's knowing the work that needs to be done. So you are an expression of this infinite intelligence. But in order to function in three-dimensional reality, if you think about it like a funnel, consciousness, all of this exists in consciousness, omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience. But in order for you to function as a human being in the physical world, it has to pass through a funnel so that all of this vast array, this ocean of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence has to be deleted generalized, edited down, distorted, so that it comes to you in the form of your own thoughts and feelings. So you have this massive, you think about consciousness, you have this massive Delete, 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 delete mechanism so that you get a very small slither of information or expression or energy from this vast array of what you're plugged into that you know as you, that you know as your consciousness. And then what happens is, is we get stuck in these loops of thinking the same thoughts all the time. We self-reference. We, we, we self-reference based on our physical body. We self-reference based on where we are in time and space. We self-reference based on our experiences. We start doing this the moment that we were born. So that we start pr uh, storing in our brains, literally in our brains, we start storing all this information that then becomes the pattern of the expression of infinite consciousness of who you are that they call in a lot of spiritual circles, your ego, your false self, your self, your sense of self and separation from all that is. And then you get stuck in this feedback loop, thinking the same thoughts all the time, feeling the same feelings all the time, doing the same patterns all the time, thereby creating the same experiences for yourself over and over and over and over and over every day. So the key to make it really simple is to understand that you have to detach from that really narrow expression. And you have to almost work your way back up the funnel to experience where you can access the fullness of what is. That requires a lot of alteration of consciousness. Uh, let me say this too. I don't know why am I saying this. Um, there are people that use hallucinogens. Um, the best, the wisest, like hallucinogens aren't new, ayahuasca, shrooms, whatever. I know there are people out there that get benefit from it and what have you, but the best traditions down through the ages do not suggest that as the way to enter this, <laughs> to detach and enter this fullness of consciousness. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I want to say this also. Do not mistake what happens under the influence of a hallucinogen for actual reality. 
because what you're doing is you're simply removing the filters. What, what hallucinogens do is they remove the filters that you have, and you are going to experience yourself, the level of your own vibrations, the level of your own stuff, and find yourself in infinite intelligence locked into the wave of whatever matches where you're at. It does not do the work for you. It simply shows you where you are. Which is why some people, if, look, if you grew up with a lot of shame, you grew up in a shame-based environment, you grew up with a lot of trauma, you may have some good highs, but you're going to have some really, 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 really traumatic bad ones because it's going to unzip you and whatever's inside you is going to come out. And then you're going to be connected to whatever else is around that energy center and matches with that vibration. Now that has to be for somebody, because I definitely didn't want to go there, but somebody needed to hear that apparently. So I'm going to finish with this. You have three levels of consciousness. And this is really where I wanted to, to get to. But it seems like I'm always in the laying different foundations, but I think hopefully it was helpful. Because first of all, what I'm doing, if you come out of those religious circles, I'm helping you tear down. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully helping you to identify where you've been vibing, what you've been resonating with, and then tear down the structure of the philosophy of that by showing the absolute foolishness of it. So that hopefully you can change channels or you can get some understanding because it's all about how you think. Now, there are recognized almost universally in every system that I've looked at. There is three levels of consciousness that is recognized. The first level is the talking mind, what we call in our culture the conscious mind, what they called in prior to the term subconscious, which came around by a psychologist in about 1880. Prior to that, you can go back and read about it. Some authors called it the involuntary mind. Some traditions go back and have different terms and words for it. The inner child. A lot of the animal totems. So if, if you come out of a shamanic tradition, the idea of identifying your animal totems isn't necessarily your animal spirit guide as much as it is using a symbolic representation to identify what we call now in psychology the subconscious mind and what energetic patterns are operating within the subconscious mind. That's a lot to get into. So, <laughs> you can begin to develop a resonance or a communication or rapport between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. That's the first level. That's the first level of progression here. A level of rapport between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. Uh, a communication line between the two where you can send information to the subconscious and it's received. And where the subconscious can send information back to you and it can be sorted and evaluated. Because you need both. The conscious mind is not bad. The conscious mind has its purpose. 
The problem is when the subconscious, when the conscious mind and the subconscious mind get out of rapport, and that's what the shadow is. The shadow is nothing more than areas of the subconscious mind that have lost rapport and lost connection with the conscious mind. Meditation helps you do this. Meditation is essential to this. Doesn't really matter what kind of meditation you're doing, but just understand you're not probably, for the most time, having uh, experiences with what we call the superconscious, which is the third level. The superconscious is up here at the top of the funnel. The superconscious is the level where you interact with infinite intelligence. It's the level where you interact with all that is. In order to get there, you have to have rapport and understanding and knowledge between the conscious self and the subconscious self. The shadow parts are the parts of your subconscious, the parts of your being that have been denied, that have been repressed, that have been pushed out, that causes the disconnect or causes you to lose rapport and communication with them. And so because you don't have rapport or communication with them, they will show up as other entities when you start doing meditation. They can show up as a spirit guide. They can show up as Jesus. A lot of what I was relating to that I thought was Jesus in my meditation time was my subconscious trying to get my attention and knew the only vehicle that it could use whereby we could communicate would be if it showed up and manifested itself in the costume of Christ. So there's that. <laughs> That's the first level of this because in order to change your vibration, there has to be cooperation and congruence between the voluntary mind and the involuntary mind, between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, between the part of you that's in the light and those shadow selves. So when you're doing shadow work, you're doing very real, very powerful spiritual work that's allowing you to raise your vibration. So religion, to bring this home to what I was talking about, religion keeps those shameful selves, the, the you that's been shamed for thinking differently, the you that's been shamed for not having a level of competence to be able to perform, the you that's afraid to achieve, the you that's afraid to achieve because you might take too much glory, you might get the big head, and all these things are sins that are going to alienate you from God. So you have parts of you that really want to shine, parts of you that really want to show out, that you have to suppress. Parts of you that are magnificent, parts of you that are beautiful, that you've suppressed. Not everything in the shadow self is, is a problem. Not everything in the shadow self is trauma. Not everything in the shadow self is, you know, uh, as, as Freud called it, eros or thanatos, uh, erotic, well, crazy erotic sexual desires or crazy death wishes or the desire to murder people. I mean, those are impulses that we have to deal with in ourselves, for sure, eros and thanatos. But not everything down there is, is that. Some of it is your light. Some of it is your power. Some of it is your brightness. Some of it is your personality. Some of it is unique expressions of you that religion has taught you to suppress and disown. And so when you, when you suppress and you disown and you disconnect from those things, there's no rapport in the conscious mind. So they will show up in your dreams. They will show up 
in other people. This is where projection comes in. Uh, you'll judge in other people what you've judged in yourself. So the first key to this, gang, is, is number one, to realize that you're okay. Number two, to realize that, that you have potential and power. You can change your life. You can change your vibration. You can do something about your life. God isn't up there keeping score. God isn't angry at you. You don't have to stay in these situations that you find yourself in. You can remove yourself from situations and relationships. And one of the worst things in church is, you know, God hates divorce. Listen, there are some situations where divorce is a blessing, where the a divorce is hallelujah. I mean, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But don't let an 18-year-old run your 40-year-old self. Um, right? So maybe you need to give yourself permission to make changes and get out of situations that are toxic for you because you're bound by all that other stuff, right? So you just stay stuck in this toxic relationship. You just stay stuck in this toxic marriage with this magical thinking that maybe someday something's going to get better. And by magical thinking, what I mean is something outside yourself is going to change your life and improve it. That's not, it's not reality. Very seldom happens. So getting to know yourself, falling in love with yourself, being okay with all those different parts of yourself and allowing them organically and naturally to come up. Meditation is a good way to start getting in touch, but also you can just simply start with your thinking mind, your verbal mind, and speak to your subconscious mind like it's another person. Because when these parts show up, because there's no rapport, you don't recognize them as you, but you, you, you can speak to that part of you, your inner child, the parts of you that you denied, and just say, you know, for every part of me that I have denied, that I've shamed, that I've put in religious bondage, I'm sorry. You guys down there, this collective internal family system that I have, you, y'all are amazing. Y'all have a lot to teach me. Y'all all have a lot to, to offer me and that I can benefit from. And I'm sorry that I've repressed you and I'm sorry that I've judged you. And I'm sorry that I've shamed you and I'm sorry that I've kept you in situations that were not good for you. And I would really like to begin to have conversation and report and I would really like to get to know you. And no matter how you are going to express yourself, I'm going to offer all the parts of you, all the parts of myself, total unconditional acceptance, total unconditional positive regard. And this is where the, the spiritual people get in trouble that want to just be all light and love. Because that ain't reality either. It's just not. It's not reality at this level of evolution that we're at. Somebody breaks into your home, wants to attack you, wants to take your children, being all light and love in that situation. And I know somebody's going to come at me with, you know, some story about, oh, but you can overcome by showing them how much you love them or whatever. Um, okay, yeah. Not reality. Spiritual bypass. Uh, I call bullshit. <laughs> But you get the point. And certainly all those parts in you, a lot of them are pissed off, a lot of them are wounded, a lot of them are uh, want to take over, 
And I'm not suggesting that you let them take over. But I'm just saying if you're trying to be all light, you're going to stay disconnected from some of those shadow parts. Um, because like it or not, there is darkness in this universe. There are dark energy patterns and light energy patterns. And all of it is here to serve a purpose. And in the proper context, all of it is valuable and can be a resource and can serve you. Uh, you may have an inner serial killer. Obviously, it's not going to serve you or anybody else if you just let that inner serial killer come out. I'm being facetious, by the way. I'm just trying to use an extreme example. But, man, that serial killer might come in handy when you're doing a business deal. And you need to be crafty and calculated because you're dealing with crafty and calculated people. That serial killer might come in handy if you need to cut off a relationship that's toxic to you in your life. Anger can be a very powerful resource to energize you to get less of what you don't want in your life, to energize you to make changes, to energize you to get unstuck from patterns that you've been stuck in, if you can access it and channel it in the right direction. So, that's what I have to offer <laughs> for today. Um, like I said at the beginning, if you didn't catch it, I'll be making some announcements about some things that I'm going to be offering, some more classes that I'm going to be offering, some things that we'll be doing locally for those of you that are local. Um, I need to get with um, a few other people and have those discussions first. Um, but those uh, things will be coming up. Um, I really would like to, uh, well, I'm just not going to say too much. I'll save it, but be watching for that. I'm going to go back and look at the comments. I hope this helped you. Um, I realize, you know, a lot of times I'm like sandpaper. A lot of times I say things and rub the cats for the wrong way. Um, and that's me. And I'm perfectly content with me. Uh, it's one of the places that I've come to in this. Um, not using that as an excuse to be offensive or use foul language or whatever, but... Uh, I spent so many years of my life trying to fit into a groupthink culture, trying to uh, adapt myself to become who everybody else thought that I was going to become, that I understand that in this season of my life, it is more valuable to me and it is more important for me to be able to be myself, even with all my warts and rough edges, even at the expense of offending or turning other people off, and I'm totally okay with it. So, you know, every once in a while I'll get in my feeds, well, Jesus said we should do this. Well, okay, great, that's Jesus. Or you need to be more like Jesus. No, I ain't Jesus. Um, what would Jesus do? I don't know what Jesus would do. I'm more concerned about, well, what is Aaron going to do? Uh, <laughs> in this situation and season of life, what would Aaron do? <laughs> because so many times, and somebody else maybe needs to hear this, but so many times I didn't do what Aaron would do because I was so busy trying to do what Jesus would do. Or I was so busy trying to do what everybody else expected me to do that in many instances I gained the world or a portion of the world, but I lost connection with my own soul. And so what's most important to me right now is that I'm recovering my own soul and I've got that rapport and that development and I'm not repressing the sides of me, even the sides of me that you think need to be repressed. 
that's your issue and your problem. Whoever it is out there that I'm talking to, obviously I'm not talking to all of you, but inevitably somebody feels the need to come along and correct. And I'm just saying that that's your issue. That's your problem. So anyway, love you guys. Hope this was helpful. Hope this was a blessing to you. I want you to just, if I leave you with nothing else, I want you to think about this. How can I change my frequency? How can I bring coherence and congruence into my life where I am uh, walking in agreement with myself? For those of you that love scripture, there's a scripture that says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? For a lot of us, we don't make progress in the life's journey because the two that are not walking together is the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And so a lot of this work that, that we end up doing and a lot of real spiritual work is just building that rapport, building that love and acceptance, and finding agreements, finding and negotiating agreements between the conscious thinking mind, voluntary mind, and the subconscious involuntary thinking mind, and coming together in an, in an internal harmony where we, we can walk together. And just by doing that and just by doing that alone, you're going to change your vibration. Just by owning your power and almost saying to yourself, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Just by doing that, it's going to change your vibration. Just by letting go of a lot of that shame-based stuff, is going to change your vibration. Just beginning to think differently about yourself just a little bit has the potential to completely transform your life. So I hope you were able to take something valuable from this. Don't underestimate the small things. That's the other thing. Last thing I'm going to say, most of us are looking for this big thing. Give me this big thing to do. Give me this powerful secret. Give me this magic word. Give me this magic formula or this magic practice that is going to help me change myself. And we're so busy looking for the spectacular that we discount the power of the familiar or the power of the simple. We're so looking for the complex that we discount the power of the simple. It doesn't have to be something as simple as, yeah, Tom says, owning your power. Something as simple as that can have change your whole life, change your whole vibration, change your whole frequency. Something as simple as letting go of judgment upon yourself and allowing yourself to be okay where you're at and sink into your own skin. Something as simple as that. Something as simple as offering yourself self-love. Something as simple as allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to disconnect, to think differently. Here's one, and I'll leave you with this. Giving yourself permission to have different values and beliefs than what your family shared without feeling like you're betraying them or being disloyal to them, but being okay with the fact that that was their values and their beliefs and I'm okay to have my values and my beliefs, and I'm going to reevaluate what's valuable to me in this season of my life. What do I believe in this season of my life? And I'm going to do it without feeling guilty or like I betrayed my church or like I betrayed my family. That's a small change, but that can have such a profound impact. It can change your entire vibration and then change your entire life. So don't make this too complicated. Do the simple things, and you can see big changes coming into your life. So thank you again for all the comments. I so enjoy doing these. God bless you. I love you. And uh, if I have a donation button at the top, if, you know, stuff I've said has been a blessing to you, if it's been helpful to you, again, um, I would just encourage you, if there's been an energy release, I would just encourage you to think about making an energy exchange and uh, making a donation to the Awakening Center so that we can do more things. And uh, um, right now we're pretty shut down. Um, so it works both ways. Donations have been way down, um, but productivity has been way down as well. But I'm committed to doing these, committed to doing things that will try to help you and be a bl blessing and a benefit to you. So if you want to reciprocate that uh, through some kind of an energy exchange with us, there's a button at the top 
Uh, I know sometimes for some reason some people have difficulty linking to that. You can go to our website, which is on there also, um, theawakeningcenter.org, and just go directly there and make a, a donation through PayPal. Anyway, love you, bless you. Uh, everybody have a, a great day, great rest of your weekend. I look forward to reading the comments. And uh, please uh, continue to give me feedback because the feedback, uh, uh, positive, negative, um, as, as we're talking through this stuff, even where there's disagreements, oftentimes gives me a different perspective and helps me think about things differently. So um, God bless you. And like I said, have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for watching.